Hello, this is Colin welcoming you to the 2221st edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper. Dateline, 6th of February 2020. The readers this week are Alison and Colin with Hess on the Controls. The editor was Colin and the production and distribution team is Alan and Ali. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Fernan Builon, Harry Brewer and performed by John Jack Perry and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Independent and the Enfield Dispatch and are their copyright. The lead story this week, Men Jailed for Chilling and Brutal Mache Attack. The sunrise and sunset times for the week beginning 10th of February are sunrise at 7.25 and sunset at 17.05. Now Alison will read the first item of local news. Men jailed for chilling and brutal machete attack. Two men armed with machetes who viciously attacked a man at a train station have been jailed. Ricardo Dalam Singh of Beresford Gardens, Enfield and Kamran Ahmed of Aberdare Road, Enfield appeared and were sentenced at Harrow Crown Court on Monday, January the 27th. During the early hours of Sunday, August the 4th, 2019, the two 20-year-old men were loitering outside Enfield Town Station when they approached the victim and his friend. The men then started an argument with the victim. This swiftly escalated to serious violence. Both suspects pulled out large machetes from their waistbands of their tracksuit bottoms and chased the victim into the ticket hall. Once there, they swung their sheathed weapons at the victim, causing a number of extremely serious cuts and wounds. CCTV evidence then captures the suspects casually walking away from the scene, brandishing their weapons. Thanks to the swift response of officers, both men were traced to a nearby Tesco where they were arrested. At court, they admitted charges of causing grievous bodily harm with intent and possessing a bladed article. Dalham Singh was handed a seven-year, six-month prison sentence and Ahmed was handed an eight-year prison sentence. D.I. Niamelor from British Transport Police said, This was a chilling and brutal attack and frankly it is remarkable that the victim wasn't killed. The way that Dulham Singh and Ahmed so arrogantly walked away from the scene just demonstrates how little remorse they had for their victim, who was left bleeding severely. Thankfully, the pair are now behind bars. And I know this will be welcome news for the victim who continues to relive the terrifying memories of this attack. I would like the praise I'd like to praise the officers who helped bring these defendants to justice. Thanks to the overwhelming evidence they collected, both defendants had no choice but to plead guilty. The moment of crisis has come. Climate campaigners disrupted a council meeting in Enfield 
to warn councillors the moment of crisis has come. Members of Extinction Rebellion Enfield interrupted a full council meeting on Wednesday, January the 29th, minutes after it began, urging the local authority to do more to tackle climate change. Despite Mayor of Enfield Kate Annaloo repeatedly asking them to stop, the protests continued and the meeting was temporarily adjourned. Extinction Rebellion has repeatedly made headlines with its high-profile protests, including large demonstrations in central London last year. On Wednesday, the campaigners welcomed the Council's declaration of a climate emergency in July, but criticised an apparent lack of progress since then. Speaking from the public gallery, a member of the group announced, "'This is an emergency.' the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change declared business as usual will result in a 4.8 degree warning by the end of the century with catastrophic consequences. The moment of crisis has come. He added that six months after the declaration of a climate emergency, it appeared to be business as usual from the Council. The campaigners said they had asked the Council to establish a baseline for carbon emissions, to measure progress towards achieving net zero, to commit to switching the council's energy supplier to a 100% renewable provider and to commit to the divestment of council pension funds from fossil fuels. They added, Since July, we have had several meetings and email communications with the council, but so far they have seen it fit for it to be treated with a severe lack of urgency. In six months, the Council has met just twice to discuss the issue. Once again, the climate emergency does not feature on tonight's Council agenda. We have been told it would take a year to finalise the strategy and that the Council would not act until it is in place. How does this reflect any sort of urgency and priority? Speaking after the meeting, an Enfield Council spokesperson said, Enfield Council takes tackling climate change seriously and is moving quickly to implement our commitment to be carbon neutral. Since 2011, Enfield Council has reduced its carbon footprint by 45%, exceeding its carbon reduction target three years early. The borough itself is on track for a 40% reduction in its carbon footprint by 2020, despite a rapidly growing population. We are now aiming to reduce the Council's carbon footprint by 60% by 2025 and to be completely carbon neutral no longer than 2030. We sympathise with the Extinction Rebellion's aims and support their right to peaceful protest. We encourage them to continue to engage the Council in constructive dialogue rather than undertaking disruptive and divisive activities in Council meetings. The Chair of the Climate Change Task Force, set up by the Council, continues to meet Extinction Rebellion regularly. From the Enfield Dispatch. Safety cameras for the A10. 
Safety cameras will be installed along a major Enfield road to crack down on speeding and dangerous driving. A system of permanent safety cameras will be fitted along the A10 by the end of the year. Transport for London, TFL, has confirmed. It is hoped the measure will put a stop to street racers and other dangerous drivers following a string of accidents on the road, which runs from the M25 in the north of the borough to Haringey in the south. TfL will roll out a system of temporary speed cameras along a stretch of road from Bullsmore Lane to Southbury Road during the spring. It is currently designing a permanent safety camera system to put a to be put in place later in the year. Police launched a crackdown on dangerous driving on the A10 in May 2019, which led to 41 arrests, 66 vehicle seizures and more than 900 drivers reported for excessive speed. The highest recorded was 127 miles per hour. With police resources under strain, however, Labour and Conservative councillors called for average speed cameras to be installed on the A10 as a permanent deterrent. While there are several ordinary speed cameras along a section of the road, these are clearly marked and unable to catch drivers who speed up once they are out of range. TfL said it could not yet confirm whether the permanent safety measures would be average speed cameras or a different solution. The police operation will continue until the temporary speed cameras are up and running. Detective Superintendent Andy Cox, from the Roads and Transport Policing Command, said he was fully supportive of the cameras. Joanne McCartney, the London Assembly member for Enfield, visited the A10 last month and said, I first asked about cameras in 2007 and since then I've regularly raised it with TfL and the Mayor of London. There has been racing up and down here for a number of years. We've had complaints from residents about the noise, about not being able to sleep, so I've been regularly raising it. I'm really glad TfL finally agreed to put cameras back along this stretch of road. Deputy Mayor of London for Transport, Heidi Alexander, said a very strong case had been made locally about the need for cameras. She added, the mayor is committed to a vision zero target. We don't think any death or injury on London's road is acceptable. And reducing speed is part of that bigger piece of work to make roads safer. People have been killed here. It creates quite a hostile environment for people and I'm really pleased we are going to get these cameras. Council leader Nessil Kaliskan said, This will make the roads safer, Enfield safer, and I think it will make a more pleasant environment for residents. Speeding isn't just about the danger that's created, but also fumes and the noise, and I think it will give people confidence that it is a safe environment. Helping you stay safe. How two community safety schemes are working in tandem to protect local people. Enfield Street Watch is a new style of community partnership led by the community for the community. 
The scheme brings people together to help make streets and open spaces safer for everyone. The patrol-based initiative is backed by the Metropolitan Police and has a proven track record of success in other London boroughs. Since its Enfield launch last summer, the scheme has already had successful patrols and received strong support from local businesses, residents, parents and schools. The organisers are now looking for more volunteers to expand into Edmonton Green and increase their existing patrols in Southgate. Volunteers are vetted, insured and receive induction training before they start. They provide a visible, reassuring presence and report anything suspicious or any street care issues in the neighbourhood. If you have a couple of hours or whatever time you can spare and wish to volunteer for administrative support, after-school patrols or patrols at other times for Edmonton Green or Southgate, do please get in touch. Enfield Street Watch also works together with CHIPS, Community Help Point Scheme, to create safer communities in the borough. CHIPS provides more than 200 safe places, such as shops, businesses and civic buildings, within the community where young and vulnerable people can go to access support if they are lost, at risk or feel vulnerable. CHIPS has been developed in partnership with police and Enfield Council. Staff at the CHIPS locations have been checked by the Disclosure and Barring Service and trained to help. They display the official logo in their window and can help to access support or let someone wait until they feel comfortable and safe to continue their journey. CHIPS is a nationwide award-winning scheme which has now been running for 14 years in Enfield. Katerina, owner of La Dolce Piazza Cafe in Edmonton Green, which has been part of the scheme since it started in 2006, said, I think it's important that local businesses support the community and young and vulnerable people know that there's always somewhere to go if help is needed when they are out and about in the community. Award for Deaf Teacher A deaf teacher has been commended for her outstanding contribution to teaching. Alicia Allen impressed judges at the Teacher of the Year Awards with her ability to inspire children at Brimsdown Primary School. She teaches pupils using British Sign Language, BSL, and lip reading, with many becoming fluent as a result. Alicia picked up the Special Contribution Award at the ceremony hosted by Maths Hub London North East, a programme involving around 600 schools which helps to lead improvement in mathematics. Deputy Head Eleanor Painter, who nominated Alicia, said, The children absolutely love learning sign language. It creates a really inclusive environment at the school. Programme uses sport to bring people together. Footballers visit residents at Care Home. Past and present stars from a football club have come together to support elderly people living with dementia. Current Tottenham 
football club midfielder Harry Winks and former captain Gary Mabbott attended a Sporting Memories event at Bridgewood House on Thursday, January 30th, a care home located around the corner from the club's training centre in Enfield. Sporting Memories is a programme run in partnership with the Sporting Memories Foundation, a national charity that helps tackle dementia, depression and loneliness. It uses sport-themed activities and games to help those suffering from dementia or social isolation to recall memories and connect with their past. During the workshop, Mabbott and Winks spent time looking through pieces of Spurs memorabilia with care home residents. They also exchanged personal memories of their best moments in Spurs and wider sporting history. As part of the session, staff from the Tottenham Hotspur Foundation facilitated a series of football-themed games designed to help participants try to recall memories of watching or playing football. Winks, who joined the Spurs Academy aged six and grew up a Spurs fan, said, It has been a pleasure spending time with the residents. The Spurs fans in the room shared some interesting memories from watching the club growing up, and many of them still watch us today. It was great for me to share some of my own experiences and tell them about playing in the new stadium. Mabbott, whose parents were both diagnosed with dementia, added, With my mum and dad, I experienced firsthand the importance of keeping the brain active and staying connected to the people around you. Sport is a powerful tool for bringing people together and stirring positive feelings that may otherwise remain hidden. Home Office must free vulnerable Maddie. Thousands signed petition in support of Enfield Resident by Reverend Melanie Smith. At 6.30am on Monday 20th of January, an Enfield couple's peace was shattered. Police and Home Office personnel broke down the door to remove an asylum seeker, Maddie, and take him to an immigration detention centre. Maddie fled Iran in 2016, having been held by authorities there for being a Christian and claimed asylum in Germany. At the height of the refugee crisis, when Germany received 280,000 applications in one year alone, Maddie found himself living on the streets and abused by local youths from the political far right. Frightened for his life, he fled once again to the UK and was placed by the Home Office in Liverpool. It was during this time he met his partner Ian and moved to Ian's home in Enfield, where they have found a supportive church community at Winchmore Hill United Reform Church. Maddie suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, from his experiences in Iran and Germany. Yet the UK authorities want to remove Mahdi back to Germany, as that was his first point of entry into Europe. On a bureaucratic level, I do not have a problem with this, but Maddie has a right to a family life which he has established here in Enfield. Moreover, on a previous attempt to remove him to Germany, Maddie self-harmed 
and his injuries were not treated in the UK. On arrival in Germany, the authorities there refused to accept him because his injuries were so severe, and he was returned to the UK. We are asking that Maddy is granted bail immediately. He is being held at Collinbrook Detention Centre near Heathrow Airport, which is adversely affecting his mental health, and we are extremely concerned for him. Enfield North MP Feral Clark has asked urgent questions of the Home Office, which led to Maddy's name being taken off a deportation flight at the end of January. However, concern for him is rising, as it would appear that he hasn't been allowed his prescribed medication and his psychiatrist is very concerned for the impact this will have on him. Please sign our petition calling on the Home Office to release Maddy. Go to http colon slash slash chng.it slash g capital C six capital T capital C nine five lowercase c. Clay Hill Council admits White Web's mistakes. Enfield Council's Director of Property admitted the local authority's marketing of a lease for White Webb's Park had not helped allay people's concerns. An early advertisement of the council's offer to lease White Webb's Park golf course and adjoining land to commercial bidders said it might be suitable for storing inert material, suggesting it could become a landfill dump. However, Mark Bradbury told a Greenbelt Forum meeting last month that this would not happen. We accept the marketing literature and early communications have not helped with the concerns the public have held. We will not allow proposals that involve landfill. 18 commercial bids to run the struggling council-owned golf course have now been received and are said to include a wide variety of leisure and environmentally sustainable uses, including retention of golf. More than a 100 people packed last month's meeting, with many concerned over the fate of the ancient woodland that has been included in the lease offer. Asked why the woodland had been attacked on the gol- attached onto the golf course lease, Mark explained... We included the woodland because there has been a lack of investment in maintaining the biodiversity and the footpaths there. We are looking at how a better financial proposal could support the biodiversity. The council's preferred bidder will be revealed in April. Call to rethink cycling schemes. Campaigners against shared space cycling schemes in Enfield have again petitioned the government, taking their message to the door of 10 Downing Street. Members from the National Federation of the Blind, UK, NFB UK, and Enfield Town Residents Association, ETRA, travelled to Westminster last month, having previously submitted similar petitions last year before Boris Johnson became Prime Minister. Andrew Hodgson, NFB UK, 
president, has spent the past decade raising concerns about shared space cycling schemes, which he says have adversely affected many blind, partially sighted, disabled and vulnerable pedestrians. He said, We do not want to share space with moving vehicles on the road and with cyclists on the pavement or when trying to get on and off the bus. We simply want our pavements back, our green man pedestrian crossings back, and we want direct access to public transport back. We want to be able to walk in safety, and we want to reclaim our pavements. NFB UK claims many shared space schemes, such as those installed by Enfield Council along the A105 between Palmer's Green and Enfield Town, have failed to include accessible features that allow blind and partially sighted people to use them safely and independently. In 2018, the government wrote to local authorities in England asking for shared space cycling schemes to be paused amid concerns from disability groups. But this guidance came after the council's Green Lane cycling scheme had already been installed. NFB UK now wants existing schemes to undergo urgent remediation. Its petition is supported by 200 UK organisations, including ETRA, Enfield Transport User Group and Enfield Vision. Another petition, focusing on problems in Enfield, was submitted to 10 Downing Street by ETRA members, including Association Chair Linda Miller and partially sighted residents Gilly Ostakchini and June Weenan. Linda said, We are petitioning the Prime Minister alongside NFB UK. Our petition sets out evidence of the dangers many of these new road layouts present for blind, disabled and vulnerable people, people who should, by rights, be protected by the Equality Act. None of these situations could have occurred if planners and funders had been properly held to account. A council spokesman said, Enfield Council is fully committed to equality in everything we do, which includes the delivery of our Healthy Streets projects. We welcome constructive dialogue with key stakeholders and Enfield Council officers met with both Enfield Disability Action and Enfield Vision, among others, towards the end of 2019. We will continue these conversations as projects are developed. Enfield Council has no existing schemes or future proposals where motor vehicles and pedestrians use shared space. Enfield Town Residents Association is one of many community groups that is a member of the new Enfield Town Consultative Group. This group was formed by Enfield Council last year to help build constructive relationships. Our wide-ranging community engagement work for the project in Enfield Town has shown that creating accessible environments is a priority for many people. We are committed to delivering this through our work to design healthy streets that are fit for the future. Now for a sporting item. No ground lost on playoffs despite heavy defeat. 
First half blitz by Hornchurch, Downstown on dire afternoon. Four first half goals saw Enfield Town slump to a dismal 4 naught defeat away at Hornchurch in the Ishmian League Premier Division. Strikes from Chris Dixon and Adam Cunnington would have been enough on their own to make it a poor half's work for Enfield without former towner Mickey Parcel and Jordan Clark making it four by the 35th minute. The sole change from Town's win away at Margate last Tuesday was the inclusion of Sam Young's over the suspended Ryan Blackman. Town started the game far more disciplined than the scoreline suggests and forced the first attack of the game when Lyle Della Verde's free kick was punched clear by Joe Wright in the Hornchurch goal. Dixon then had an effort blocked for the hosts, but all of Town's work in the early stages unravelled when the hosts won a series of headers in a dangerous area and the ball eventually fell for Dixon to convert with a quarter of an hour gone. The next goal wasn't far away for Hornchurch, though, as on 25 minutes a long throw from Matt Johnson was met by the head of Cunnington, who had far too much time and space to guide the ball home and give Enfield a mountain to climb. It went from bad to worse for town shortly after, as Parcel picked the ball up on the right and drove towards goal, played a 1-2 with George Saunders and then lashed an effort past Nathan MacDonald to effectively put the game to bed. The fourth arrived four minutes later as town failed to close down the man once again, as Sorder's pass went all the way through to Clark and he provided the finish. The second half was a far less entertaining affair than the first, with no further goals added and not nearly as many chances. The loss leaves Town seventh, thankfully for them still only two points behind fifth-placed Horsham after they were defeated at Cray Wanderers. Next up is a home game against another playoff contender in Bognor Regis Town this Saturday, kicking off at 3pm. And now two letters featured in the Enfield Dispatch. The paper welcomes letters from individuals or organisations who have an opinion on something in Enfield. They accept letters of up to 150 words. And you can email them at Enfield Dispatch, that's with a capital E and a capital D, at socialspider.com before the next deadline on Tuesday, 18th of February. More trees. Dear Enfield Dispatch, I recently wrote to Enfield Council about the need to plant more trees. Through Freedom of Information requests, I discovered that excluding whips, which are young trees below three feet tall, the council has felled 807 more trees than they have planted since 2014. We all know that climate change is one of the biggest issues facing us. Trees are an essential and simple way to help tackle climate change. They are also good for wildlife provide flood protection, improve air quality and cool down the area around them. As an outer borough, 
Enfield should be taking the lead in London's efforts to plant more trees. But instead, we have been going backwards. If we can't get something as cheap and straightforward as tree planting right, how are we going to do everything else necessary to get to net zero carbon before 2050? Ben Farris Noble, Main Avenue, Enfield. Baseless Backlash Dear Enfield Dispatch, I am writing partly in response to the letters in issue 16 regarding Enfield Council's Quieter Neighbourhoods project. These letters do not depict an isolated opinion, for I have heard a lot of people speaking critically of the Council's decision, but I am afraid this view does not stand up to scrutiny. The inconvenience to residents caused by this project has been exaggerated, largely through misinformation among residents. Firstly, cars rat-running through residential streets are a source of great grief across Enfield, especially where I live. Cars park in front of driveways for hours, blocking passage of residents' cars. Secondly, the claim proposals are being pushed with little consultation are untrue. Stage five of the project involves consultation and or trial, followed by adjustments to the idea. Rosal Firoz, Cockfosters. Diversity Grant, Edmund Theatre receives £98,000 from the Arts Council. Facefront Inclusive Theatre is among 45 diversity-led organisations to receive £4.3 million in funding from Arts Council England. Local organisations are being funded through the Arts Council Elevate programme in a move to enhance the diversity of the arts and cultural sector. And the Edmonton-based charity is set to receive £98,000. Facefront Inclusive Theatre will develop its financial, digital and staff resilience through the introduction of a new business model. This will support increased income opportunities, improved training and professional development for staff and artists, as well as a new month-long festival to raise the profile of inclusive arts. Ray Downing, Artistic Director, said, Facefront is incredibly chuffed to have been awarded Elevate funding from Arts Council England. This exciting opportunity will support our existing work as well as create opportunities with new partnerships. We remain committed to using the transformational power of theatre to improve emotional well-being and address social injustice. Joyce Wilson from Arts Council England added, Nurturing and supporting diverse talent is one of the most important roles that we have. It is essential that we empower underrepresented voices, ensuring that their creative endeavours are an essential part of this country's outstanding cultural provision. I'm excited to see Facefront Inclusive Theatre flourish with the support of Elevate 
and hope that it provides them with the strong foundation they need to create amazing work. Industrial estate set for £94 million revamp. Site suffers from antisocial behaviour. Hundreds of jobs could be created in one of the most deprived parts of the borough thanks to an industrial estate redevelopment. A £94 million revamp of the Montague Industrial Estate in Edmonton Green will provide modern, energy-efficient buildings for a range of businesses. A council report says the scheme is expected to create around 630 more jobs, boosting an area that suffers from high deprivation. It is also aimed at cutting crime and improving the public realm. The report adds the 27-acre estate is occupied by largely poor industrial buildings, some dating back to the 1950s, and suffers from congestion. It states that there has been significant antisocial behaviour and illegal and unauthorised activity on the estate, which has had an impact on surrounding residential areas. The redevelopment project was originally approved by Enfield's Cabinet in 2016. Since then, planning permission has been granted for Phase 1 of the development, which will provide eight warehouse units with associated office. Work is due to begin in the spring. Enfield Council will partner with Henry Boot Developments in a 50-50 joint venture to redevelop the site. The scheme is expected to boost the council's income from renting out land on the estate to £4.4 million per year in the medium to long term, up from the current yearly figure of £1.2 million. Partnering with a firm that already has expertise in developing industrial sites is designed to cut costs. On Tuesday, January 28th, Cabinet members gave the green light to the joint venture, along with a business plan and master plan for the site. Going green. In our latest councillor's column, Tim Lever discusses what's happening in Palmer's Green. I've lived in Palmer's Green since 1995, moving here from Enfield Town where I grew up. I've been involved in local campaigns and local politics ever since. In the 2018 local election, I was immensely proud to be elected as a councillor for this ward. Since then, what I've learned about local politics is that nothing respects boundaries. While Palmer's Green as a community begins where Green Lanes leaves Haringey and includes the Fox Pub, Broomfield Park and Lakes Estate, the wall doesn't. Instead, in the world politicians operate in, we are separated by the carefully crafted dotted lines established by the Boundary Commission. But people leave and breathe their communities. Local politicians need to, cons- need to listen to residents' views and consider the impacts that wider issues and decisions have 
on our wards and communities. At the moment, we have the Fox Lane Quieter Neighbourhood project being discussed, as well as the upcoming low traffic scheme around Connaught Avenue. This is part of Enfield Council's borough-wide response to reduce the volume of traffic, reduce the ability of people to rat-run and improve the environment and safety for all residents. It will have a lasting impact and residents must have their say through engagement and consultation. The schemes must be right for our streets and must have resident support. These projects will also contribute to the Council's response to the declared climate emergency. With the recent general election returning a majority for the Conservative Party at Westminster, we can expect a continuation of the cold-hearted austerity, which has seen over half of the Council's grant cut since 2010, squeezing our local services and damaging our communities. Along with the pressure on our NHS, underfunding of our schools and the rising crime, we now have the renewed fear of a hard Brexit as this government seems set on placing unrealistic timelines on negotiating our trade terms with the EU. With a strong voice for Enfield from our three Labour MPs, working closely with Enfield councillors, I hope our communities can be defended from the worst excesses of the government that local residents of Enfield have largely rejected. Council could rack up debts of £2 billion by 2030. Opposition councillors have issued a warning over Enfield Council's projected £2 billion debt pile, despite council bosses insisting its finances are sustainable. Members of the Conservative group warned the extra borrowing needed to fund big regeneration schemes would ultimately hit taxpayers as the council pays off its debt rather than investing in services. But members of the Labour administration defended their spending plans and said they were investing in projects that would improve people's lives in some of the poorest parts of the borough. The debate came at a meeting of the full council on Wednesday, January the 29th. Conservative leader, Councillor Joanne Laban, Highlands, said, We are continuing to spend even though the debt pile is mounting. If you continue to spend, the interest on our debt will surely impact the day-to-day services that residents crucially rely on. If you do not get a return on investment, it'll be the very people the administration wants to help that will feel the failure the most. Conservative councillors warned the council's draft treasury management report suggests Enfield Council will be £2 billion in debt by the end of the decade. The council pays off interest on debt from its revenue account, which also funds waste collections, social care and other services. Opposition councillors also pointed out that auditors BDO highlighted in a recent report to the Audit and Risk Management Committee that the council may not be financially sustainable in the medium term. 
Tory members called for a full review of the viability of all existing and proposed capital projects and a comprehensive savings plan to ensure the council's budget gap is not larger than its reserves. But Cabinet Member for Finance and Procurement, Councillor Mary Maguire, Labour, Palmer's Green, said the council's chief finance officer had recently written to her to assure her the local authority would continue to deliver a robust budget. Councillor Maguire said the auditor's report was a risk assessment, not a conclusion about where we are, pointing out that last year the council had been given a clean bill of health by the auditor. She added... This administration is ambitious for Enfield. We have got many exciting developments and projects to make Enfield an even better place to live and work in. What we really need is a government to realise you can't run local government on the cheap. Councillor Lee David Sanders, Conservative, Highlands, criticised the council's record on delivering building projects in the past. He warned the council's finances could be put at risk by an increase on the rate of public works loan board interest, another risky project overrun or another lot of unrealised savings. But council leader, Councillor Nessil Kaliskan, Labour Jubilee, said, I am utterly committed that we will make investment required in the parts of the borough that have been forgotten about. She added, You talk about £2 billion of borrowing. It is £2 billion of investment in this borough. We think borrowing to invest in communities that need it the most makes a difference to their life chances. Heritage Fund deadline. Chance for local people to win money for their projects. People are being given more time to come up with ideas for projects that will preserve and celebrate the borough's heritage. The council wants community groups to submit ideas that could be in with a chance of winning money from the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Enfield is one of 13 areas in which the fund wants to increase spending and address what it calls an underrepresentation in heritage. According to the fund's website, heritage can be anything from the past that you value and want to pass on to future generations. Examples include oral history, cultural traditions, historic buildings and nature. In June last year, Enfield Council adopted a new five-year strategy, setting out how the borough's heritage will be managed. It details how the local authority will preserve the historic buildings, parks and other heritage assets in the borough, as pressure for new developments continues to grow. The original deadline for submitting heritage projects was the 15th of January, but it has now been extended to Friday the 14th of February. People are being asked to email their ideas to heritage at enfield.gov.uk and mark their messages, call for projects. 
The council says we will use your ideas to help the Heritage Fund tailor its support in Enfield to identify possible collaboration and try to avoid duplication of project ideas. Poverty report spells out need for funding. Worsening poverty and inequality in Enfield has made the borough more like inner London than outer London. This was one of the damning conclusions made in a landmark report examining the quality of life for local people, which also laid bare the huge differences between living in the east and west of the borough. Commissioned by Enfield Council, but independently drawn up by experts from the Smith Institute, the Enfield Poverty and Inequality Commission, EPIC, published its report, All Things Being Equal, of the House of Lords last month. Baroness Tyler of Enfield, a former pupil of Latimer School in Edmonton, acted as chair of the commission. She said, I know quite well that Enfield has the reputation of a leafy outer London suburb, but I always knew there was a divide between East and West. This has really sharpened in the last decade. It is clear to me now that the levels of poverty and deprivation are more comparable to inner London boroughs than they were ten years ago. Enfield has risen from the twelfth most deprived to the ninth most deprived borough in London. Funding levels for public services in Enfield remain much lower per head than in inner London, despite deprivation growing quicker in outer London. EPIC has challenged this outdated formula and called on the government to end the borough's unfair funding allocations, particularly for public health and schools. Baroness Tyler said she knew the government wanted to focus on Northern England but urged local service providers to make the case for outer London. She added, Enfield is still getting funding more appropriate to what it was like 20 years ago than what it is like today. The government needs to recognise the growing levels of poverty in outer London. Some of the stark statistics highlighted by EPIC include Enfield having the highest number of evictions from private rental properties in London, the 11th highest rate of child poverty in the UK, the second highest level of serious youth violence in London and the fifth highest child obesity rate in London. There has been a 250% rise in homelessness since 2011 and one in three Enfield children now live in poverty. The disparity between the boroughs east and west was also made clear in health data showing that the average life expectancy was 8.5 years lower for people living in the poorest part of Enfield compared with those in the richest part. Someone living in Edmonton Green can expect to live in good health for 66.6% of their life compared with 81.5% in Winchmore Hill. The Commission's investigation into Enfield's poverty and inequality was conducted over a six-month period between May and November last year and cost the Council £22,500.
It sought evidence from a range of community stakeholders, including head teachers, council officers, NHS bosses, charities, residence groups, the Metropolitan Police, local MPs, trade unions and business leaders. As well as outlining the extent of poverty in Enfield, in its report, EPIC makes 27 recommendations for both local and national government to take forward. Enfield Council has agreed to draw up an action plan, including measurable targets which can be reviewed and scrutinised. An independent review of its progress will be made in one year's time. While some of the recommendations, such as a review of funding formulas, are beyond control of the local authority, many explicitly call on the council to act, such as restoring funding for youth services. Speaking to the dispatch, council leader Nessil Kaliskan pledged to follow the recommendations. She said, I am really aware there are pockets of poverty around the whole borough, but the east side is disproportionately affected. The action plan is the next stage that will come out of this and we will need to deliver on the recommendations. Newly elected Enfield North MP Feral Clark also attended the House of Lords event and said, The other local MPs and I will continue to make sure we do our bit to to deliver on these recommendations. Another sporting item. Ignatians extend unbeaten run to 12 against Finsbury. Enfield Ignatians extended their unbeaten run to 12 games in London 3 North West after a 27-5 win over 5th placed Finsbury Park. Tries from Lewis White, Dave Gear, Jack O'Toole and Jonathan Hamilton were added to by a Jake Bates penalty to secure a comfortable win for the Blue and Golds. Ignitions put in an excellent defensive display against the wind in the first half and went ahead when White touched down from a maul. The hosts weren't able to capitalise on Finsbury's errors until late in the second half when Bates notched a penalty and Gears' try put them in command. O'Toole then added another try with an arcing run round the Finsbury defence to make the game safe, before Park bounced back with a five-point score of their own. Hamilton, though, wrapped things up after picking up at the base of a scrum and racing over from 20 metres. Next up for Ignatians is the visit of Struggling Harrow on Saturday, February the 15th. Estate Rebuild Pledges More details about the proposed redevelopment of Joyce Avenue and Snell's Park estates have been revealed. Residents attended an exhibition of early plans for the £770 million scheme, which they will soon be asked to vote on in a regeneration ballot. They have been promised that they will be offered a new home on the rebuilt estate if they want one. The first homes will be built before anyone is asked to move house. Every resident will move directly from their current to their new home. That better estate design and layout of green spaces will reduce crime and antisocial behaviour, 
and the Florence Hayes Centre and Recreation Ground will be improved. At a recent council meeting, Enfield Council leader Nessil Kaliskan defended the cost of developing plans. She said, The £4 million will pay for detailed work that is necessary. The people on that estate deserve to live in decent housing. More information is available at joyceandsnells.co.uk Home Alone, Francis Batten on the benefits of Enfield Home Library Service. For many of us, reading, listening to music and watching a film all provide a stimulus and a window on the world. But if we don't have access to these media at home, our local library is an invaluable source of material to brighten lives, educate and entertain. It is not always easy to get out and about, however, and this is where Enfield Home Library Service comes into its own. When mobility, disability or caring responsibilities make it difficult for people to get to their local library, the Royal Voluntary Service, RVS, in cooperation with Enfield Council, can help. The Home Library Service delivers loaned books, spoken word and music CDs plus DVDs to housebound individuals and their carers every four weeks free of charge. Shauna Tivan is the Community Services Manager for Enfield Home Library Service. She says, We deliver to Enfield Borough residents in their homes, in residential homes, and recently a service delivering to a ward at Chase Farm Hospital. The service is operated almost entirely by a team of 45 volunteers who make deliveries and select the books based on either specific requests or general guidelines set by the readers themselves. The team are also looking for volunteers selectors to choose books, issue them using library software and prep them for delivery and discharge upon their return. The deliveries for each round happen every four weeks and selecting can take anywhere from two to six hours depending on how the volunteer chooses to go about it. Volunteers work independently so that they can fit it in with their schedule and are able to reserve from home if they prefer using the library catalogue. Linda Morgan, one of the invaluable RVS volunteers, has been involved in the service for four years and loves the work. She says that she has found the involvement with people on her rounds to be a humbling experience. She adds, You discover people who have had remarkable lives. They are so grateful and really appreciate the personal contact. There have also been occasions when I've been able to put people in touch with other services and organisations that are relevant. The Home Loan Service is free and can be accessed by filling in a form available at your local library or by contacting Shauna. Uncollected food, food waste causes stink. Hundreds of people have been affected by missed brown bin collections since Enfield Council's new food waste service began in November. 
The small containers were delivered to households last autumn for the purpose of recycling outdated food and leftovers. But some residents say their bins have not been collected even once, while others say collections are frequently missed. The dispatch understands that several hundred missed collection reports have been filed with the council since the new service was introduced. Streets known to have suffered from frequent missed collections include Clarence Road in Ponders End, Harmon Road in Bushill Park, Hillside Grove in Southgate and Oxford Close in Edmonton. It is understood that problems with the online complaint system for missed waste collections have led to further issues, with some residents unable to inform the council of when their collection was missed. Jigdem Hassan from Oxford Close told the dispatch, I complained to the council and after two weeks they came, but it has happened again and it's now been three weeks since it was collected. I have emailed the complaints team who said they will investigate, but nothing appears to be happening. Nobody is coming on the designated day at all to my road to collect the brown food bins. The teething problems with the new food waste service come as the council prepares to make another major change to bin collections on Monday the 22nd of March. Sorry, 2nd of March, when both black and blue bins move to a fortnightly service. All the changes being brought in are designed to help save £2 million in taxpayers' money and increase recycling rates to 50%. The scale of the challenge was recently laid bare, however, when new figures showed that Enfield's domestic recycling rate had declined by 2.5% in 2018-19, down to 33.4%. It was the fourth biggest drop in recycling in London. A council spokesperson said, We are on track to deliver the second phase of the new service this spring, compromising of alternate weekly collections of household rubbish and recycling collections. The changes were necessary because central government cut a £2.5 million grant we had for weekly bin collections. Every week, Enfield Council collects bins and recycling from over 87 properties. While we will endeavour to collect every bin, there can be reasons for a missed collection. For example, obstructions caused by parked cars, access issues or bins not being presented correctly. Since the new service started on the 4th of November, 0.32% of bins were not collected as scheduled. Across London, recycling rates have plateaued and local authorities are having to make radical changes to help people change their behaviour. Caroline Russell, a Green Party member of the London Assembly, slammed stagnating local authority recycling rates across the capital. She said, Public feeling and concern about waste has never been higher, so it's a shame this just doesn't seem to be a priority for the Mayor of London. Recycling saves money and helps cut carbon emissions, so it's worrying to see how far we're behind the national rates. Two seriously injured in a fight. A man is fighting for his life after being shot, 
and another has been stabbed following a violent fight between two groups of men. Emergency services rushed to the scene on Alma Road, Enfield, shortly after 6pm on Wednesday the 29th of January. One man was found with gunshot injuries and another with stab wounds, and both were taken to hospital. The condition of the man with gunshot wounds has been described as life-threatening, and the stabbing victim's condition was not immediately known, a Scotland Yard spokeswoman said. At this stage, it is believed two groups of men in their 20s had been involved in an altercation, she added. No arrests have been made. A section... 60 is in place for parts of Enfield and was in place until 4am on Thursday. A police spokesman said one man was found with gunshot injuries and another had been stabbed. Both are in hospital and we await further updates on their conditions. The man who was shot is believed to be in a life-threatening condition. Help us bring change. Joe Johnson from Love Your Doorstep sees plenty of community spirit in Enfield. This year is the ninth year of Love Your Doorstep and our plans for 2020 are in full swing. In January, we held a public meeting regarding youth crime. It was a really positive meeting with a focus on solutions and prevention. The Dugdale Centre was packed and it was wonderful to hear from so many inspiring people. It was also great to hear from the panel, made up of various key members of the community. We really hope that together we are going to bring about change, and not just short-term solutions. We currently have community patrols in two different parts of Enfield, but these can't run without the support of our members who volunteer their time. If you want to join us, we would love to hear from you. This year, we also want to reach out to even more businesses and support their ventures. We love helping new businesses get off the ground with promoting themselves and spreading the word about their products and services. It's really rewarding to work with a business from the early days of starting out and see hard work paying off when they become well-known and successful among the community. Valentine's Day is coming up. Yes, you can argue that it's an overly commercialised date on the retail calendar, but we like any excuse to urge people to shop local and support the local economy while doing so. We have some beautifully stocked local independent gift shops, such as Deja Vu in Enfield, Ruby Blue at the Dugdale and Tinker Taylor in Bushill Park. They are just some of the places you can have a browse and pick up gifts and cards off the shelf and, if needed, get some help from a friendly shop owner. If you're looking for ideas for a Valentine's night out, the Come Mech We Laugh comedy show at Millfield Theatre guarantees fantastic entertainment. Resistance Comedy, the Dugdale's new regular comedy night, is also taking place on Friday the 14th of February whilst Chicken's Shed Theatre is hosting a series of theatrical monologues between Tuesday the 11th and Saturday the 22nd of February, including Valentine's Day. A final sporting item. Mo, latest towner to go pro, 
Stryker follows long line of ex-players now playing professionally. What do Rian McLean, Corey Whiteley, Josh Davidson and Mo Fall all have in common? Those who follow Enfield Town Football Club will know that they all played for the club, but perhaps more significantly, they have all gone on to sign professional terms with league teams several divisions higher. Fall is the latest name to make the move to the professional ranks, switching in January to Bolton Wanderers, four steps higher in the footballing pyramid, after regularly banging in the goals for the Towners and drawing a succession of scouts at both home and away games. Everyone connected with Enfield Town was disappointed to see Mo go, such was his special ability, but everyone likewise wished him well. It was pretty clear from the outset that he could easily play at a higher level, and his departure once again highlighted the extent to which the club manages to identify stars in the making and nurture them accordingly. Back in 2016, under a previous management regime, Whiteley moved to Dagenham and Redbridge and is now on Newport County's books, although currently on loan at Bromley. As for the other two, McLean swapped Enfield for Doncaster Rovers a year ago, while Davison, last October, sealed a dream move to Charlton Athletic after playing for Enfield as a teenager, making his first team debut just a week after signing for the League One club. Enfield fans may rue the loss of such talents, but it's a huge testament to the club that they managed to uncover these gems in the first place. Some come through the non-league ranks. Others, who have initially failed to make the professional grade, are given a second chance. The message? Come to Enfield Town if you want to put yourself in the shop window. Enfield Town Vice Chairman Paul Millington told the dispatch, The management team we have in place under Andy Lease probably don't get the credit they deserve identifying these types of players and providing the necessary coaching to improve them and making them attractive propositions to professional clubs. The big downside is that the club, despite all its efforts in nurturing players, does not receive a single penny if those who move on were not on contract. Sadly, it's a fact of life at non-league level. Even when they are on contract, clubs unwilling to pay a fee will invariably wait until such deals end in the summer before swooping. It can be very frustrating, says Paul, who, like many others, would like the system tweaked so that some kind of compensation can be paid, perhaps based on a sliding scale. Sadly, it's unlikely to happen, much to the detriment of clubs like Enfield Town. Learning the Lingo an article by Priya Puriag on why she launched a local branch of a languages programme for toddlers. I live in Enfield with my husband Ravi and my six-year-old son Rohan, and when I came across Lingotot, I knew it would provide me with the perfect opportunity to share my passion and open up the world of modern languages to children living in my local community. Lingotot is an award-winning languages programme delivered to more than 20,000 children across the UK each week. 
It runs classes through community groups, nurseries and schools, teaching languages such as French, Spanish, German, Arabic and even Mandarin Chinese. I enjoyed a successful career in the world of banking and more recently in the charitable sector. But after the birth of my son, I wanted something that combined my passion for languages with the flexibility needed for family life. With Lingotot, I can use my experience to help children to learn new languages and skills from a young age. The classes are packed full of songs, games, stories, crafts and most importantly, they are fun. To celebrate the launch of Lingotot Southgate and give local families the chance to experience a morning of interactive fun, I recently hosted a launch party at KB02 in Palmer's Green. Children participated in a Little Lingo Tots French and Spanish taster class and expanded their learning with a range of language activities. The event was a resounding success and I was overwhelmed by the hugely positive response from my local community. It was wonderful to see young children start to learn new vocabulary and actions right from their very first lesson. I hope to see many of these children continue their learning by attending Lingotot Southgate's classes. For more information about Lingotot Southgate, you can email southgate at lingotot.com or visit lingotot.com forward slash centre forward slash lingotot dash southgate. We have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So from the team of Alison, Colin and Hass on the controls, it's goodbye. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet. Put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. Don't forget you can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 020-8805-6578. Coming up next, the latest news and information for the Greater London area from InfoSound. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time. and information about living with sight loss from InfoSound. The Roberts Play is the name of a compact portable DAB, DAB Plus and FM radio that's available on free loan from British Wireless for the Blind Fund and which can also be bought from their trading arm BWBF Direct. The Play is actually a mainstream radio, not designed specifically for blind and partially sighted people, but it's one that BWBF has identified as being accessible to someone with sight loss, which is why it's in their range of radios. DAB Radio, DAB stands for Digital Audio Broadcasting, enables you to select stations by their name rather than their frequency, as is done on an FM radio. So you don't need to know where on the waveband to find a station. 
But this radio does also offer FM, should you be more familiar with that. And it also works to the newer DAB Plus broadcasting standard. The radio has up to 10 station presets, which, once programmed in, will enable you to quickly get to the stations you most listen to. You can search stations using up-down buttons, and searching for stations can be done manually or automatically. It has a fairly small 16 by 2 character liquid crystal display on the front which shows station names. Although a fair part of the front of the radio is made up of a loudspeaker, you can also listen in headphones which are not supplied. As it has a built-in battery charger, British Wireless suggests it could be particularly suitable for taking out and about, but it can also be mains powered and a mains lead is provided. The appearance of the radio, which measures 16 by 10.5 by 3.5 centimetres, is either white with a grey surround or black with a black surround, but you can add differently coloured rubber bumpers. These can be attached around the edge of the radio and are available in a range of colours and are sold separately. Now, the charity British Wireless for the Blind Fund can make the portable play radio available on free loan to any blind or partially sighted person who meets their lending criteria. And if you'd like to find out more about that, or of course the radio itself, you can phone British Wireless on 01622754757. That's 01 Six double two, seven five four, seven five seven, or email them at info at blind dot org dot uk. But the Roberts Play Radio can, as mentioned, also be bought from the charity's separate trading arm, BWBF Direct, and the price is £69.99. And BWBF Direct can be phoned for more information on 01622427633. That's 01622427 Six double three, or they can be emailed at shop at blind dot org dot uk. Info sound. Info sound. The BBC suspended the planned closure of its Red Button text service just before it was due to have started being phased out on the 30th of January. The closing down process was due to be happening around now, but BBC Director General Tony Hall said he would now make a decision about the future of this television access service in the spring. This followed a petition organised by the National Federation of the Blind of the UK, NFB UK for short, the campaigning charity of and for blind and partially sighted people. The petition reflecting the shared concerns about the red button of roughly 130 organisations was handed in to the BBC at New Broadcasting House in London and to Number 10 Downing Street. NFB UK says that the red button tech service is vital for elderly people who have limited sight and hearing and who are not on the internet. Vision impaired people with some residual vision can also benefit from this service, first launched in 1999, taking over as it did as CFAX was phased out. The red button, accessible through most TV remote controls, hence the name, carries news headlines, football scores, weather, financial information, travel news and more. 
The BBC has said that even if the text service goes, the video elements, such as allowing you to watch play on extra courts at Wimbledon or stages from the Glastonbury Festival, will continue. Ten years ago, 12 million people a week used to press the red button. It was also reaching around 5 million people who did not have access to BBC Online. But since then, smartphone use has increased greatly. Nearly 80% of adults now own one. And the red button text and video services cost the BBC £39 million a year to run. But the NFB UK-led petition says that the service is vital for people who are not online, who, quote, want to find out information independently in an easy, convenient and accessible format. It said it feared its withdrawal, again quoting, will leave many people who are already vulnerable further isolated and marginalised from society. We spoke to Andrew Hodgson, president of NFB UK, about why they had decided to gather wide support from disability groups and others to try to save the red button. This particular issue affects largely the older age group of the population, I suppose. It affects the people who are unable to use the internet or don't want to use the internet or live in areas where internet connections are very poor. And so they rely on the red button service, the teletext, to source quite a lot of their information, news, sport, travel, etc. And for you, is it that the television is something that's already there in someone's house, doesn't need the internet, and gives you access to this information? Is it the only place that you're saying some people can access this kind of data? Yeah, it probably affects the deaf community even more than it does ourselves because, of course, they don't have access to radio and they're reliant on subtitles on television. So the written format is ideal for them. It affects those of us who have some useful vision. At the moment, the red button service isn't accessible via speech, unless you get some special equipment. And there is, I believe, one piece of equipment whereby you can access it via speech. But it's not provided by the BBC. And one thing we will be campaigning on, if we can persuade them to change their mind, is we would like them to consider making the service fully accessible to vision-impaired people. So that means that it would have speech output. But, of course, this depends on whether we can get them to change their mind. Now, bearing in mind the BBC's coming up with its licence fee renewal discussions, is there going to be a licence fee, whether it should be free to those aged 75 and over and so on, it's quite a difficult time for the Beeb. How confident are you that you will be able to change minds on this? I don't know. What I would say is that the people who use this red button service are an important demographic. The population of our country is top-heavy in the sense that we are an ageing population. These are the people that politicians wish to retain their votes. So I think they would want to put pressure on the BBC to change their mind on it. 
Andrew Hodgson, President of the National Federation of the Blind of the UK. Ultimately, this is, of course, a BBC, not a government decision, and just to repeat the outcome of the BBC's thinking about the future of the text element of its red-button service will be announced at some point in the spring. When in the spring, we don't yet know. InfoSound InfoSound London's famous Tate Modern and Tate Britain galleries hold regular free audio descriptive tours for blind and partially sighted people. Coming up next in their new season of these tours, on Monday the 17th of February at 11am at Tate Modern, there's a descriptive tour of the surreal photography of Dora Maar in which he discovered and recorded the extraordinary in everyday life in Paris and Barcelona between the wars. On Monday the 16th of March at 11am, the Tate Modern Collection displays form the basis of a descriptive tour of highlights from the gallery's collection given by describers from Tate's visitor experience team. Some of the artwork will be able to be explored by touch, so gloves will be provided. As with all Tate Modern Monday tours, please aim to arrive for morning tours between 10.15 and 10.45 for tea, coffee and croissants. The tours set off at 11. Then, on Friday the 24th of April, between 6 and 8.30 in the evening, Tate Britain is putting on an out-of-hours private tour for blind and partially sighted people, which will describe decadent Art Nouveau ascetic movement printmaker Beardley's scenes of scandal from the perfumed boudoirs of history. Plus, in the exhibition at half-past six, there'll be a specially commissioned reading of Oscar Wilde's play Salome, abridged and performed by the drama workshop of Waltham Forest. Drinks will be provided on arrival. Tours usually last about an hour and 15 minutes. As mentioned, all these events are free and you don't need to book in advance for these particular tours. They say that on all tours, seats and earphones are provided and companions and, of course, guide dogs are very welcome. Now, should you want to know more about these particular tours, including details of how to get to the galleries, or if you'd like to find out how you can receive information about Tate Modern and Tate Britain's forthcoming year of tours, you can contact Marcus Dickey Hawley by phoning 07733110244. That's 07733110244. O two double four, or he can be emailed at Marcus dot Hawley. That's M A R C U S dot D I C K E Y H O R L E Y at Tate dot org dot UK. Marcus dot Hawley at Tate dot org dot UK. Info sound. 